Hello and welcome to Secrets of Organ Playing podcast. We are your hosts, Vidas Pinkavichus and Oshamut Zeta Pinkavichin. We've been mastering secrets of organ playing for more than 20 years and sharing them on this blog since 2011. On this show, which we create from our home in Vilnius, Lithuania, we strive to help you grow in every area of organ playing, including practice, technique, repertoire, sight reading, hymn playing, improvisation, composition, music theory, harmony, and many others. Our hope is to help you become a complete musician, or what we call as total organist, a program which we have created to help you reach your dreams faster than you would do on your own. If you are new here, we invite you to subscribe to receive free updates of this blog at organduo.lt. By subscribing, you will also receive free video on how to master any organ composition and 10-day organ playing mini course. And now let's go to the podcast for today. Thank you so much, Paul, for joining in this conversation. I'm very delighted to be able to talk uh, with you through the internet. Uh, I came into contact with your work uh, a while ago, I would say some months ago, uh, when I found out about your fabulous Toccata for Eric, right? And uh, and then okay. you sent me some other pieces uh, to listen to, and then I bought the entire Toccata, entire suite for Eric, which was uh, very exciting uh, suite for me. And I am actually learning it, practicing right now. And just before we started, I practiced Prelude and the Fugue from this suite too. Thank you so much, Paul, and uh, welcome to the show. Thanks, Vidas. It's great to talk to you. <laughs> Excellent. So, uh, you know, we've been uh, having uh, wonderful many uh, discussions about uh, organ playing issues uh, with organists, uh, organ builders, musicologists, and composers from all over the world. And the first um, question that I like to ask people is, um, how did they first fell in love uh, with the organ? Do you remember the story? How did I start with the yes. organ? Um, well, when I was when I was a child, I I, I really wanted to play piano. Um, no one in in the family played music, but for some reason I I don't know why I really wanted to play piano. So I asked my parents if I could. Uh, if I could do that. And this was when I was, I think, eight or nine. And about the same time, my friend at school um, sang in the local choir in the church, and he asked me to come along. This was um, the boys' choir, you know, sort of traditional English church boys' choir. And we we sang, but we got paid pocket money to sing, you know, especially if we sang for a wedding. And I think if you brought a new boy into the choir, you got a bonus payment. So that's why my friend asked me. So it was piano playing and singing in the choir. And then when my voice changed, um, I had a very encouraging choir leader called Johnny. He said, oh, you should try playing the organ. So that's how I got into it. Uh-huh. Uh, do you remember... The first in instrument that you played, the first organ. 
Ah, yes. It was um, a small an extension organ so I think it only had about four sets of pipes um, but you know when I when I played that for the first time and when I was allowed to play a hymn in the church service that seemed really quite exciting when I was young mm -hmm. I see um, and uh, I know you you live in the UK right um, that's right right and um it's interesting how 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 did you came into composing for the organ what was first creating for the organ or playing the organ for you um it was playing the organ mm -hmm. um and i always liked composing as well but when i started out uh i, I didn't really write very much for organ and I think it's because because I was learning a lot of organ music. I'm talking about when I was in at university and in my twenties. So I was playing a lot of music, and you know I liked playing a lot of contemporary music as well, and all the old stuff and the baroque music. And but what I was composing was music for choir or music for theatre or music for children in schools. When I tried to write an organ piece when I was younger, I it always came out sounding a bit too similar to the music I was learning. <laughs> it was all a bit like Messier or a bit like Arvo Pert, or I, I was finding it hard to sort of write something a bit different for organ. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and it was only later because I, I've always liked uh, pop music, um, musical theatre, and other genres. Um, so, I suppose my my way in a little bit later was to use some of those popular music style organ music. Not not all the time. Sometimes it's it's quite classical, but that gave me a sort of a, a different approach. I think rather than coming in from the end of the very long list of classical organist composers, mm -hmm. if you see what I mean. Yes, yes. I notice in your style, sometimes you write uh, um, those uh, wonderful arias and intermezzos, right, like in this suite, um, which remind people probably of uh, more popular music, maybe theater music, um, sometimes jazz music, right? Uh, uh, your chords are always so chromatic, and uh, sometimes it's a blessing and a curse as, as, uh, at the same time. <laughs> yes, I, I, well, I, I think a lot, a lot of us organists quite like all that kind of thick jazzy harmony. But um, sometimes, you know, sometimes I'm deliberately writing in a sort of pastiche way. Mm -hmm. Other times, I'm just trying to be inspired by a style, but to do something a little bit new with it. Mm -hmm. So, so, so Paul, uh, if you were to choose uh, one piece, your pinnacle piece, what would that be? Uh, your the piece that you are most proud of, for example, today. I know it's a, a difficult question. <laughs> which is which is your yes? It's actually quite hard to say, isn't it? The, the well, the piece you've mentioned already, the Toccata. I think I, I'm, I'm fairly pleased with that because 
you know, it, in its structure, you know, it's very clearly of the tradition of Toccatas by Vienne and Vidor and, you know, that style. Yes. But, you know, rhythmically, it's more syncopated and it has that kind of almost, I mean, I, I can almost, if if I had a rock band, if I was in a rock band, I would kind of arrange it for, you know, mass bass guitars and electric guitars and everything like that. So I think it sort of has a bit of a bit of that style in it too. So, I mean, that's that's maybe a... A nice example of something where I'm, I'm mixing the classical and, and pop styles. I have other pieces that are much more straightforwardly entertaining, and I have other pieces that are, you know, more experimental and more dissonant. So it's I, I don't have one style. I have many styles, or so whatever I think will work best for the concert or for the performer or for the commissioning. Maybe it's even better than having uh, uh, having been limited to one style, right? Because sometimes a composer finds a unique uh, sort of way of writing and uh, sticks to it for a decade, let's say. And uh, and with you, for example, you are free to wander from one domain to another, from uh, French domain, from French symphonic domain to the jazz, right? In the same cycle. And uh, and it's uh, it's it's kind of uh, for for listeners it's even even uh, more interesting, right? Because y you can hear probably a lot of different uh, varieties of different uh, historical periods and also uh, historical ways of writing and stylistic modes and techniques, compositional techniques, right? Um, yes, I, I hope so, and that's very kind of you to, to say it that way. We, we have a, a phrase in English, um, a, a jack of all trades and master of none. So <laughs> if, if, if you wanted to be negative, you'd say, you know, a little bit good at lots of different things. But that's, that's what I would want to listen to if I went to a concert as well. When I, um, I used to listen to a, whole, a lot of music by Alfred Schnitger. And I used to love it, the way it was really dense and, you know, huge symphonic stuff. And then there would just be a sort of little umchar tune on a harpsichord at the end. And, you know, he would really, you know, instead of just mixing up notes and mixing up chords, he would also mix up styles as well. Yeah, he would write collages like that, uh, where mm, he insert collage, yes, uh, yeah. musical ideas from other styles. A very, very clever idea, by the way. To mm. to refresh the style that you're currently writing in, very like a musical surprise, right? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like a borrowing ideas from other other sources. You know, they say if you if you if you bar, borrow one from one source, you are a thief, right? But if you borrow from a hundred sources, you are an artist. <laughs> I haven't heard that one. I like that. It's about. Also, I think it's, it's about Paul. Sorry. About writers, basically novelists who yeah who who are influenced by many many ideas, many different uh, yeah authors before them. Yes, and I think it's it's also a tribute to where you're coming from, and you know I think very occasionally, very very occasionally, someone in the arts, a writer or a composer or sculptor will have a really original idea 
But I think most things are just new ways of doing old ideas. So I'm, I'm, I'm always get quite annoyed when concerts or composers are described as, you know, doing something revolutionary and new and never heard before, because actually it's always been heard before in a slightly different way. So I would like to be very open about that and say, you know, I love music of the past, you know, 500 years ago or five minutes ago on the radio. And I just want to use that as much as any of the ideas I have. Well, exactly, exactly. Um, it's very difficult to be completely original these days because um, most of the things that we can even, even imagine in music uh, has been have been done before and um, we only have to probably mix them up together in a new way uh, oh. to create something stylistically new new thing new for example for example paul in your suite for eric uh, let's say you write um, the fourth movement called tears and tire so basically this is a french classical piece where the uh, cornet stop basically sounds in the tenor age right and it reminds of the masses by de Grigny and couperin obviously and the musical language is a little bit different right it's 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 uh, more chromatic chords uh, more juxtapositions of keys um, seventh chords ninth chords augmented chords things like that chromatic chords but with the french registration french classical to be specific and uh, that's that's also original you know you mix two ideas and uh, the mm. third idea is is born that way yeah, I think, yeah, I think you're right. I, there's, I don't think anything is completely original. Mm -hmm. And if I was listening to music, I would like to listen to something that was really good, not something that was really original. I mean, <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? Yes. And a lot, a lot of great composers. I mean, Beethoven was, you know, has, has a very sort of, you know, he really refreshed the classical music style. But people like Bach, you know, was writing in a very old-fashioned style by the time of the 1740s. But he was just brilliant. Right. You know, so he wasn't writing the latest new original style. He was just doing really, really good music in the style that he knew. Exactly. And he mixed other styles, Italian, French, uh, Central yeah, yeah, German, yeah, yeah. and, uh, yeah. and uh, North German also, all together. And it became mm. uh, like a like a exemplary high baroque style that we know to, today mm. right sort of and everybody now cites bach as a as a baroque genius and the pinnacle of baroque era but he was a sort of a, a, like a like collector of many many ideas of composers that came before him right so yeah. we are all on the same journey we are basically mm. doing the same thing, but in different way, in a di at, a, at a different time of the history. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I always sometimes uh, want to ponder, what would Bach have composed if he, he had lived today or, uh, you know, 50 years ago, uh, played those, for example, um, eclectic organs, symphonic organs, with pistons, with many combinations, uh, <laughs> you know, 
probably, most probably, he would have created something differently, uh, adapted to the environment, don't you think? Um, yes, I, I think all, all, all good musicians will, you know, use, use all, everything that's at their disposal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe he would have used even multimedia, right? Uh, maybe mixing uh, several art forms, um, right? Um, who knows? Uh, maybe he would have created even non-musical forms, uh, something entirely different if he lived today, because a lot of art that is created today is purely visual, because we are very visual at the very visual age of the history, I think. Yeah, yeah. Who, who knows? Who knows? Mm -hmm. Who knows? It, it's it's <laughs> fun to speculate. Uh, so, yeah. so uh, Paul, uh, what would you say to to a struggling composer who is, um, you know, looking at the blank page or um, at the computer screen? opening um, Sibelius or Finale notations software and doesn't know what to do next. Uh, you know, he is stuck. Uh, there is this term, uh, writer's block. So maybe composer's yeah. block is also a term. What would you suggest? Yes, I, I know that feeling um, well. And actually the, the blank page is not very helpful, I find, because there are, excuse me, um, the blank pages, there are so many options. There are a million, a billion things you could do. So yes. I always feel that I like to limit myself. Was it Stravinsky who said, the more you're limited, the more you're free. So um, there's, there's a book, it's a French novel. The English title is, a void where you avoid the letter E so the whole novel is written without using the letter E and that's obviously a huge challenge really hard uh -huh. in English and French I don't know, <laughs> I don't know how it is in, in other languages yeah. um, but quite quite often in my pieces that there is some thing that I've tried to do and it, it could be I'm trying to follow a very strict structure or it could be even something like I'm trying to you know, write, write the piece you want. Don't mm -hmm. use F sharp. You know, you have to think very much more creatively about what I use. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and also, um, um, most of what I write is choral. And, you know, I, 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 I like classical discipline. If you write a four-part piece, you should write it in four parts. You shouldn't just divide into a huge... 16 part chord effect yes. because you've run out of ideas to do with that within the four parts or even a three piece so it's that kind of discipline now once you've written the piece it may be that suddenly you do change it but that's because you've made a very strong decision that that is what the piece needs mm -hmm. you're not just using every possible thing like i say there are there are a million things you could do you've got all the instruments you've got all the technology um, you've got all sorts of ways of getting your music out there, you know, even if you're not in, in the olden days, you had to be a conductor and have your own orchestra or have your own publisher. But of course, now you can do it from your bedroom and do it all digitally and then see if live musicians pick it up. And that's a whole new area as well. 
So, I, I, yeah, I, I think limits are really good because you then have to make your, it makes you, makes you make better decisions about the music you are writing. Right. If you know you can't do it, if you can't do anything, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is you know, probably why I do a lot of, you know, pastiche styles, but also, you know, uh, things using other melodies, because that is a, a sort of, sort of a limit, but a limit that actually releases new ideas that you wouldn't have had. Well, I wouldn't have had if someone had said to me, please write a piece of music and it can be anything mm-hmm. because then I had no ideas. Exactly. So, Paul, uh, it's just like you you wrote this um, suite for Eric in um, in 2011. Uh, you know, it's dedicated as a birthday gift to Mr. Eric Tyson, right? And you basically right. are writing uh, based on the German letters uh, on the theme. Uh, of his la- first name and last name, right? It's a clever system uh, that you came up with and are using throughout uh, the entire cycle, I think. Uh, you are basically limiting musical ideas to those uh, letters, like A, B, C, D, E, F, G, mm. A, and then going back to A from letter I, right? Uh, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, Q with Q starts A again, right? And uh, mm. X, X is H, and Y, Z is A, B again. So basically, you're using German alphabet to create musical subjects out of letters, right? Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. So I think with with that particular suite, I I remember having the same um, same issue of thinking, well. I could sort of write anything I, I, I want to do myself. So by using the letters of that name, so Eric Tyson, so that there's a four-note theme for Eric and then a five-note theme. So sometimes I use just one. Other times I use both of them. So they're you know, short melodic fragments. And then, you know, various approaches. I think you've mentioned there's a prelude and a fugue. Um, there's a Toccata, so they follow sort of classical models. There's a Ties on Tie, which is a tribute to earlier music. The Intermezzo is, as you say, in theatre organ style or cinema organ style. Uh-huh. For Eric himself, he likes that style of music, and that was his, you know, that's his sort of character. And then there's... um an aria and a duo as well. It was it was a, a lovely sort of occasion because this was a birthday present, um, but it was a secret. Eric didn't know that it was being written, so he has many friends who are also organists, and we all learnt one movement of the suite. And then uh-huh. for his birthday, we all turned up and we all played the music through, and you know that was a sort of birthday party birthday party organ recital. And Paul, did did you play the last um, section of the fugue uh, at that occasion? Yes, the, the fugue is very long, so we decided to divide up the work. And I, another organist played the first section, and then we sort of dovetailed, you know, melded one player into another player, and I played the second section. Uh huh. It's which interesting. Is, 
did quite you hard. I find it very difficult. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Did you have to stop between two sections and switch places, or you seamlessly uh, switched and continued playing? Yeah, we, I think we tried to do it seamlessly. You uh -huh. know, one person falling off the organ bench one way, and the other person sliding on. Great. Yeah, because the fugue has two subjects. Two subjects like uh, the famous uh, fugue by Durufle, Sur le nom de l'Anne, right? Yeah, and that's, and that's really, you know, it's a, a definite model where you bring in your first mm -hmm. fugue and then the sort of second fugue starts. And then, as if by magic, at the end, you have both at once. Uh huh. Yes, yes. Uh, very clever, clever um, uh, form that you you're using for the prelude and the fugue. I think yes, it reminds the master fugue and the prelude by Durufle. A very classical piece. And uh, but for me, uh, after practicing and hearing the toccata first, I had to uh, switch gears a little bit and readjust my sort of expectations what to expect from the prelude and fugue i i thought uh, prelude would be also very flashy right uh, and the fugue mm. just like toccata but but then after i think second run of my practice or maybe even third one it's it sank into my uh, my fingers a little bit better into my mental uh, memory also and i started to like entire cycle just like toccata because every piece complements each other and and uh, i think in a good way too great well and that's <laughs> i'm really pleased to hear that it's really really gratifying because now i think that toccata is, is a, a good idea Yes. Now I think like toccata is like a dessert after a good meal, and uh, you right. don't start okay. with dessert, right? Yeah. Yes. So, so uh, yeah, the most uh, uh, exuberant music is uh, postponed towards the end, and uh, and beginning is more conservative and uh, um, less flashy. Mm. Right. Yeah, more more rigorous, I suppose. Yes, yes. Great. Uh, so, Paul, what are you working currently now? What are your creative projects now? Um, I always have lots of ideas bubbling away. Um, but the pieces I'm writing right now, um, I'm, I'm doing some choral music it's a run-up to christmas so i always try to do some christmas arrangements usually quite easy things because i do a lot of community choirs and choirs in the workplace choirs in offices where people come and, and sing together um in terms of uh, for organ music i've just written well i've just no, i've just made some arrangements um for a friend's wedding and this is um i was really pleased to be asked to do this because it was for for Kevin Bowyer, who I'm, I'm sure you know, he was my organ teacher when I was a teenager and you know, very inspirational because, you know, he played all this really crazy contemporary music and, you know, kind of showed that the organ can do do anything. You know, he plays all, all kinds of stuff. And um, now I didn't know this, but he and his uh, 
now his wife, they, they love Pet Shop Boys, <laughs> which is uh-huh. a 1980s British band. And so they were, <clears throat> they, uh, Kevin was, was married last week, last week was married. And I've arranged four Pet Shop Boys songs for choir and organ, where the organ is quite a classical Takata style, but the choir is singing the, um, you know, the, the, the main songs. So that, that was a really nice uh, thing to do. And um, I've also recently done an, uh, made an organ transcription, Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven, uh-huh. which I've been wanting to do for years. And, you know, you, you, need a, you need a large instrument because you can start off with the very quiet flutes and quintartans and then you end up with, you know, everything going the blazes, you know, in the place of the guitar solo. It's a, you know, solo trumpet solo, but, you know, up and down and clusters all over the keyboard. Mm-hmm. So that was that was a lot of fun to do, but uh, but for next year, um, organ pieces. I've I've got a lot of things I'd, I'd like to do, and sometimes they come out exactly as you plan. Sometimes they don't. Either they don't work, or you start one idea and it actually ends up being something else. So um, <laughs> it's a bit hard to say exactly what what might end up, but. There are, there are lots of things to do, and and the more the more pop and rock music that I play, the more I I feel the organ is a, just a brilliant instrument for it, you know. And it's you're not usually just trying to replicate what's on the record; you're actually making something new that is specifically for a pipe organ. So it will be different from a piano or a synthesizer or a Christian you know, using the the strengths of the instrument, you know. And usually audiences really like that because, again, they're, they're hearing what the organ can do. You know, the organ is, uh, is the most versatile instrument, isn't it? Yeah. Historically and stylistically. That, that's why I like playing it, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these techniques of uh, creating uh, new arrangements of uh, well-known pop music and rock music uh, hits uh, can be can be uh, very interesting for the audiences of uh, of organ music as well, and not only for rock mm. music, right? Uh, and maybe just maybe some of them might get interested into classical organ repertoire after hearing such arrangement, don't you think? Yes, because um, for for a lot of people, you know, the general public. Maybe in their mind, organ music is only for <laughs> very slow hymns at a funeral, and you know it, it can play very slow hymns at a funeral, and that's very moving. But that, that's sort of the the only sound they have in their mind for what an organ is like. Mm-hmm. And I think um, going to I found this going to organ recitals as well. Um, and a lot of organ music that is played, and this is, I'm going to sound, this is very my subjective personal opinion. There's a lot of organ music, particularly 19th century, early 20th century, that is played a lot that isn't, to my mind, actually very good music. Mm-hmm. It's very noisy and, you know, it's a bit flashy, but I, I think the organ from having quite a lot of bad music played on it in general. And I, I think the same thing about 
important and what it can do is amazing. Mm-hmm. A lot of the time they're playing very simple, simplistic arrangements that are a bit boring. And, mm-hmm. but, you know, that's, that's maybe what we all think about the sound of a brass band. And the, the same with accordion. And the same with opera, you know, so for the, what we say, the man in the street, the woman in the street, say, what's opera like? And it's, you know, some, just, you know, a very, very loud singer and a very loud orchestra. But actually opera is amazing if it's done really well mm-hmm. from a composer's point of view and from a dramatic point of view. Yes, yes. Uh, there are various cliches that that uh, yeah. casual listener knows, right? Like, Traviata, right, or Verdi's Rigoletto, or Aida, those famous, famous arias and marshes, and 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 um, maybe even uh, um, uh, overtures, right? Uh, everybody knows, or at least educated listeners. Mm. But uh, there is so much more to it that are hidden. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and it's you know perhaps perhaps simple ideas just are easy to are easier to remember but you know if you think you know think of all the all the all the great you know grand operas you know and i'm, I'm not saying not saying they're all then they're not all bad but you know the most pop, the, the tune everyone knows <coughs> is you know that that is not the best tune in the world <laughs> you know it's a pity that things, things are known maybe for not not the the best example of their work yeah uh, for some reason bach's toccata the in d minor and <laughs> is the most uh, popular organ piece right it, and it's clearly not the most well composed piece right no and it's you know it's probably not for organ and it might not be bach but you know it's it's dramatic yes. but um Chris, I, I can't remember i know i've sent you a few of my pieces i have um I have I have rewritten the Bach Toccata in D minor uh-huh. into a new version. Have, um, there was a competition a few years ago from the AGO in Seattle yes. called Bach to the Future, Back uh-huh. to the Future, Bach to the Future. So, you know, a new way of doing Bach. And... Um, I'm just going to. I'm just taking the phone up to the piano, so I can play. And I thought I was just playing around with ideas. Firstly, I was going to sort of make it even more theatrical and operatic and dramatic, and lots of pauses and note clusters. But then, when I started on the fugue, I realised you could just take out one note. So here's the fugue theme as it stands. Yes. So in a sequence of eight, yeah, da, 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 da. if you play only seven of them, this is what you get. I'll have to put this phone down, and I hope I remember how the seven pattern goes. Yes. Uh-huh. 
completely. So now we have a real Latin American. You know, you can get your percussion going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So actually, the whole thing, it's it's sort of bark notes, but there's only it's uh, so it's in the seven eight time. Yes, wonderful, clever idea. So, so, so I mean, now, now for me, that's that's actually how the music sounds, and it sounds very strange to me <laughs> to listen to the normal version that is just in four four. It feels like oh, well, the, the rhythm has, has has been lost. I wonder if um, Bach could have composed something completely differently if he had the seven eight uh, meter um, back in the day, but he didn't, right? Yes, yeah. I, that, but isn't it right that there are there were a few Baroque composers that did maybe as a bit of a novelty write pieces in seven and five and things like that. I think there are a few examples. Yeah, I I, I don't know enough. I can't quote them, but I'm sure I've I've sort of seen a, a mention of them around. But yeah, so I've you know Bach could do a much greater job <laughs> of the seven eight than I would, but I. All I can say is I really enjoyed doing that, and if the you know if the audiences also enjoy it, that's great. But if they don't enjoy it, that's okay. Doesn't matter. You know, there's there are still a thousand recordings of the original version, to, and only one recording of my version. So it's it's still a minority approach. Right. So Paul, a while ago you mentioned uh, this idea that. Let's say in olden days, uh, people had to be basically conductors uh, and uh, have their own orchestras to perform their own music. Now, it's today it's different. You can basically spread your ideas from your bedroom, right, with with the mm. with, with the laptop basically and computer generated sounds. Um, how do you find uh, this spreading of idea of your of your pieces of your music today is it challenging because because if it's so easy today everyone can do it right and there is so much more competition today because everyone is is doing the same thing or a similar thing how do you uh, solve this competition dilemma of, uh, of yeah it's um, players for your music it's yeah it, it's it's a dilemma isn't it and even in even in the course of a few decades, I've I've seen a real change. I'm I'm 49, so when I started out nearly 30 years ago, you know, and I'm thinking of just when I was trying to find my own music to play when I was 20. You know, you'd have to go to the library if the library was open, and maybe they had the score. Maybe it was in a different library, so they could ask for it. And four weeks later, the score might arrive. It might not. You know, it took a long time to find music and to listen out or to go to a concert because it was the only time that piece was going to be played. And of course, it's the opposite now. Every, everything is available at the touch of a button. So the problem now is how, how do you how do you find what you need from the million choices? I mean, I, I think it's I think it's still better now for for all of us because as composers and arrangers you know i think repertoire is more in control of a small number of publishers and publicists so now it's a much more open field um you mentioned earlier we're living in a very visual age 
And I, I agree. Sure. This is this is what I find a problem with slightly, because I, I'm not very visual at all. Um, and, you know, as a composer, all I want is for people to hear my music. And, you know, like I say, if they like it, that's great. If they don't like it, that's okay. But at least they've, they've had a listen. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I send my music around, I put it in for competitions, I try to let people know. Mm -hmm. The funny thing is, even on the web, if I've enough fellow composers I've talked to have also found this. If you put a recording up on, you know, SoundCloud or something like that, yes. maybe a few people will listen. But if you put a video on YouTube, lots and lots of people will listen. Right. But it's the same music. It's just, it's now, it's now a visual product. Yeah. So this is my dilemma. I mean, do I, do I, do I, spend my time trying to write a new piece or do I have to spend it all making videos mm -hmm. of my old pieces, which is a different thing, isn't it? I'm not a videographer. I'm not, I, you know, I'm not really a, <laughs> that's not really the, the way I think, but that, that, that's for me, that, that has what got, what has brought the music to a wider public. I mean, I was lucky because um, Randy Mullen in the USA has got a YouTube channel and he's recorded some of my pieces. Yes. And so lots and lots of people have seen those and that has been really great uh, sort of publicity for me. Yeah, yeah. But, that, you know, that, that was just luck. If, if, I was, if there were only sound recordings, I think, you know, just people wouldn't click on the link. Exactly. So you know what I think? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just the way it goes. Right. Paul, I think also similarly and... Um, for example, I found your music, right? Or you found me and uh, I got interested in, into your music. So I think uh, the key is um, networking, right? In a good way, not spam. Oh, yes, so yeah. Basically making relationship with your future uh, performers and fans in mm. a way that they would spread your music then for you, right? Look at, at us now. We're talking about your music and, and uh, technically, uh, potentially thousands of people can, can listen to us in the future from, you know, 89 countries we have listeners. Mm. You know, and potentially they will come to your website and be interested in your other things that you create for vocal music and uh, choral arrangements and uh, uh, other music that you do, right? Other projects. Maybe you haven't even started a new project, but you will start something else in the future and they will come back to your website and then find out about that. So I think uh, maybe other people can spread your music, but you just have to be findable be findable for them and um and yes develop yeah. relationships right. yeah that's absolutely right yeah, yeah the music has to be easily accessible yeah. <laughs> but also <laughs> people need to know where to find it as well yeah yeah, yeah. That's and and the the value of a what we would call a a third party recommendation is much better than a first so if i say to someone if i go to an orchestra and say I've written a piece of music. <laughs> they might think, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but if another musician they respect says to the conductor, oh, you should listen to this piece I've just heard, that, that feels more valuable. It's a more it's an independent review. Yes, absolutely. And in some... I think it may, may, I don't know whether it's, sorry. Mm -hmm. Is it the same for 
is it the same for writers and authors? You know, if you write a novel in the old days, you know, you have to, you apply to every publisher. Now you can publish your own book on Amazon. You know, you can be a novelist, yes. which is fine, but you still sort of need a recommendation or you need a reason for people to find you because there are a million unpublished novels and how do we know which ones are the good ones? That's right. That's right. And that's, that's where curators come in, right? People who have a good yeah. and find new music for people. Uh, sometimes mm. I, I see organists, for example, they play, you know, hundreds of new pieces every year and uh, they are composers themselves, like uh, Carson Kuhlman, I, I'm talking about, for example, mm. from, from the United States. And he plays all kinds of music that he, you can uh, submit to him. He would even sometimes record it, you know, and he is like a curator, right? Uh, he says, yeah. I like it. Maybe some other people will like it too. And, uh, and mm. look, his work other people get uh, recognized as well mm -hmm. yeah absolutely good good thank you so much paul uh, i think uh, we covered a lot of ground today uh, if you could go back in time when you first started playing and composing uh, right in in your uh, early days would you do something differently uh, oh I don't know. It's that's that's hard, isn't it? Because because you need to have you need to have unsuccessful experiences mm -hmm. as well as successful ones. Otherwise, how do you learn what works and what doesn't work? You know, I've, there are some specific things that I've done that actually turned out not to be very useful, and I probably spent too much time on them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So maybe maybe it would be refining it. But I, I think. I think you have to try, you know, you have to try to write a piece or a style and then realize that actually you're, you're not going to be very successful like that. Or, you know, try a certain certain sorts of performances or concerts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it, it might it might be just a, a a little bit of a clue of which directions might be more fruitful. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't think you should. I think if you were to take out all your negative experiences you wouldn't actually have grow or develop and what would you say to people um, organists for example who have uh, an inkling to compose but they are also hesitant uh, because they say oh the world doesn't need another composer there are hundreds of them and masters i cannot do better than bach let's say right what would you say to to a person like that um well no there is there's no need for any of us to write new things i think it has to i think if you, if you want if you want to then you then you should and i think for composers and any kind of writers there has to be some sort of inner desire to write um so you know if you have that inner desire don't deny it write a piece if it doesn't work don't worry put it away come back to it a year later and then sometimes you can see more clearly ah this was the good bit and that bit wasn't quite so good mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um but also you know but on on the other side you know don't feel that you have to compose some you know um 
you know, if you don't want to, there are there are lots of other creative things you can do. And you know, if 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 composing is hard, try a transcription or try an arrangement. Or maybe if you're an organist and you want to compose, maybe you should try writing a violin piece. You know, just as something completely different, because then again, you're sort of getting a new a new angle, a new way of thinking. Yes. And writing for other instruments other than organs um, opens up new connections, right? Because new people yeah. will start to play your music. Yes, yeah, and it and it's quite nice when we. I, th I think, you know, it's. I think my advice would also be for organists and for all musicians to, you know, listen to as wide variety of things as possible, mm -hmm. even if it's not really your style. It's still music, and there's still things you you will get about communication and how to make a piece work. So even if even if you really love classical music and you would never listen to, I don't know, country and Western jazz, bluegrass crossover, yeah. if you listen to it, there, there might be something that kind of makes you think a little bit differently about your handle interpretation. Right. At least uh, there is always uh, the the idea of rhythm. You can always borrow rhythms from other pieces, right? And create different mm -hmm. melodies and harmonies, right? So, Paul, it was a delightful conversation today. Um, I'm so happy we met. Could you please direct our listeners uh, to some place online where they could find you and your work online? Uh, yes, thank you. I will. Is uh, The website is paulairs.co.uk and the way you spell my name is P-A-U-L-A-Y-R-E-S that's paulairs.co.uk. Um, I've got a YouTube channel, and that's paulairs1970, 1970, paulairs1970. So that confirms to everyone how old I am. Uh -huh. um, but also just a general web search should, uh, should bring up some of my links and some other uh, recordings that people have made. Mm -hmm. So if you'd like to take a look and a listen, I hope you'll enjoy it. Um, if you don't enjoy it, thanks for taking the time to listen anyway. And thank you, Vida, for this chat and for playing Sweet for Eric. Yes, thank you so much, Paul. I'll make sure to let you know how my practice goes. And if I'm successful, I might even record it. Brilliant. Thank you. Okay. Have fun creating your next project. Thanks very much. Goodbye. This blog is supported by Total Organist, the most comprehensive organ training program online, where you will find courses for every area of organ playing, including technique, practice, sight reading, repertoire playing, hymn playing, improvisation, composition, music theory and harmony, with hundreds of scores and thousands of exercises. Here is what some of the students are saying. Who writes? The sight reading course has helped me tremendously. Thank you very much for your SS courses and all your help. Robert writes, I found the fingerings, registration ideas and general comments to be excellent. John writes, I have found your download very helpful. It was really excellent. 
I have watched some of your teaching videos and when I read your instructions. I try to imagine you are there teaching me. You may feel disappointed that I am two three days behind, but I am a slow learner and I have committed to taking the time to get it right as you say. But the other night my wife commented that she had never heard me play such a detailed melody in the left hand so well. My left hand is generally poor. Robert writes, It has been a great pleasure in my life of having discovered your courses and material as well as the YouTube work of recordings. You have a calm and pleasant way of teaching. Ron writes, Hi Vidas and Osha, thank you guys. What a wonderful response to my email note to you. You've got me right, and I feel you understand my level of playing. Yes, at home and lucky that I have an organ for that reason. I am paying attention to this, and I am going to try this haha no longer secret model. Yes, and I love Caesar Frank too. What is very nice about your blog podcast is that Osha and Vidas are like a Socratic dialogue, and by bouncing things off of each other, so much more information comes out and is expressed. Your comments contain a wealth of information and understanding. I really appreciate this. It is very inspiring and will keep us moving forward. Would you like to receive the same or even better results that our students are getting? If so, join them at organduo.lt slash total dash organist. And of course, you will get the first month free too. You can cancel anytime. Also, if you haven't yet subscribed to receive free updates of this blog, make sure you do that at organduo.lt. By subscribing, you will also receive free video, how to master any organ composition and 10-day organ playing mini course. This was Vidas and Osha from Secrets of Organ Playing. And remember, when you practice, miracles happen.